invite you to be seated. So the last month, obviously, or so, we've been talking about, you know, the hope, the peace, the joy, the love, which, of course, are the names of the four candles there, that comes with Jesus coming on that very first Christmas. You know, the hope that we have because of what Jesus did, the, the peace that is only experienced through Jesus, the joy that we have because of what Jesus did for us, and then the love, the ultimate love that God showed us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so obviously, you know, Christmas Eve and even Christmas Day, we talked about, you know, the swaddling baby, Jesus in those uh, swaddling clothes. There was a heavenly host, some shepherds, some wise men. There was Mary and Joseph there. And everything was, was so serene and beautiful in that first stable, wasn't it? So what exactly happened right after God sent his son Jesus, who took on flesh that first Christmas, just so he could live that perfect life on our behalf, so that we can become heirs, like Paul just talked about in Galatians. Because of what Jesus did for us, we are heirs to the kingdom of God. So what happened after that? Well, according to Matthew's gospel here, as after he tells the Christmas narrative, apparently mass chaos. Because what we have that follows the birth of Jesus is we, King Herod goes crazy, the holy family has to flee to another country. There's babies that are killed, and there's mothers crying. Sounds great, doesn't it? Holly and jolly. It's a wonder why we don't include all of this in our children's Christmas program. You know, we don't have crazy King Herod in the Christmas program, or, you know, mothers crying because their babies had just been slaughtered. But this is what happened after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So let's take a look at exactly what Matthew tells us here in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. And you can follow along on the screen. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And this is God's word here in Matthew chapter 2. And we get a lot of information here from Matthew about what's going on. So everything that I just read here takes place shortly after the wise men came to visit Jesus. Now remember, the wise men were not there on Christmas night. They came probably a year and a half, maybe up to two years later to when they finally got there to give the gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. And so we learn here from this scripture that Herod got mad and incensed because the wise men had tricked him. Well, the wise men were told by an angel to go somewhere else, to not go back to Herod. Because Herod was going to be up to something bad here because Herod threw a temper tantrum. He was a psycho, to put it bluntly. He... He had family members killed, he had a wife killed, he had sons killed. Anybody who threatened his power as king, he would just kill them. There's no other better word for it, he was just very psychotic in a very bad way. And so the horrible thing, of course, that Herod did is he killed a bunch of innocent babies in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not that big of a town. It it wouldn't have had a ton of children, age two and under, male children. But no matter what, this is a horrible thing that Herod had done because he felt threatened because he heard about this king of the Jews that was coming and he didn't want anybody to take his throne. And so we call these babies that were killed the the holy innocents. Another phrase that is used is the slaughtering of the innocents. And you know what's interesting is these baby boys had a big part to play, even though they were killed at such a young age. You see, these innocents were slaughtered so that Jesus and Mary and Joseph could escape, so that Jesus, the innocent one, could go to the cross for each and every one of us, the guilty ones, and die on the cross. And so on Christmas Eve, you know, we talked about how the angel came to Joseph. We, in particular, Matthew's uh, Christmas narrative looks at it from Joseph's perspective. And so he talks about how the angel came to Joseph. And what we, something else we learn in this passage here in Matthew chapter 2 is that the angel and God were not done with Joseph yet. In fact, three more times in this section, if you're paying attention, 
an angel of the Lord came to Joseph to tell him what to do. And so, of course, I broke this down into three dreams here. Dream number one is that he was told to go to Egypt. Get out of Dodge as quickly as possible, Joseph. Take Mary and Jesus and get out because Herod's about to do something horrible. And so Joseph, we're told, gets up and does exactly that. In fact, they left in the cover of night probably, and they go to Egypt of all places. And this is interesting. Why Egypt? Remember anything else that happened big in Egypt? Now remember how I love this, and this is why Matthew is also one of my favorite books of the Bible, definitely my favorite gospel, because Matthew constantly connects the narrative of Jesus to the Old Testament, you know, that crimson thread that I'm always talking about, how everything in the Old Testament is there for a reason, and it's all tied together neatly for us by Jesus, the crimson thread, and this is a a perfect example. In fact, in these verses that I just read you, three times Matthew references Old Testament prophecies. And so this prophecy was, out of Egypt... I called my son, as one of the Old Testament prophets said that. Who was the other son that God called out of Egypt? You see, back in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, another name that the Old Testament gave them was the son, God's son. Obviously, they screwed up and never lived up to being the son that God wanted. But he called them out of Egypt, and now he's calling his son Jesus out of Egypt. You see the connection there? Again, this isn't a coincidence. It's not in there for no reason. But it's all tying the whole Bible. That's what I love about it. And the more you see these connections, the more the Bible just comes to life and makes more sense when we read it, how it's all just connected together. And so this was the first dream that Joseph gets. So we're not exactly how long they, sure how long they were there, but Herod, and not exactly sure where in Egypt they were either, but they were in Egypt so that they could stay safe until King Herod died. And so after he died, the angel of the Lord comes to him, Joseph, again, and tells him to do something else. And this is dream number two, go back to Israel. And so we're told in Scripture that Joseph does that. He obeys and listens and goes back. It's safe for them to go because Herod is dead. And so we get a little clue in here. Joseph had evidently planned on going back to the Bethlehem area. Now remember, Bethlehem was only like five to seven miles from Jerusalem where the king's palace was. That's where Herod lived. And so his son, who is now king, Archelaus, that's where he would be. And he's just as bad as his dad. And so Joseph, it says, was scared to go back. Now, can you blame him? A bunch of innocent babies have already been killed in Bethlehem. And so he doesn't think it's safe to go there. And this leads us to dream number three, where God comes again, comforting and guiding and directing Joseph on what to do. And he tells him, not your plans, Joseph, my plans. 
and we're told here in these, these verses that I just read, they go to Galilee, which, of course, once again, Matthew makes it clear, the prophecy was that he would be called a Nazarene. And where do they settle? Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grows up. In the town of Nazareth. Just an insignificant town, but that's where Jesus grew up. And then eventually begins his ministry there. So once again, as I read through these verses here, these events that happen after Christmas, something shouted out, the message that was being shouted out at me is that me and you can do all the planning we want, right? But if it's not God's plans, it's not usually going to work out. You see, Joseph wanted to go back to Bethlehem. That was his plan in his head, which wasn't necessarily wrong, but that's not what God's plan was. Not your plans, my plans. And so this all got me to thinking all of this stuff here with Joseph. We focused on Joseph a little bit on Christmas Eve, and and Matthew continues here to focus on what Joseph did. God had plans for Joseph, and Joseph no question about it, played a huge part in God's plans. You know, there were probably more effective and more efficient ways for God to go about bringing his son into the world. You know, he could have had him in a much more upscale person being his, you know, his stepfather, his earthly father, Joseph. But Joseph, this insignificant carpenter, was what God's plan was. He chose Joseph to be the earthly father of his son, Jesus. And what's another thing that's so fascinating is Joseph doesn't have one word of his recorded in Scripture. We don't have any words that he says. All we get are his actions. And his actions are that he obeyed and did what God told him to do. And another thing that we need to remember from this is that God was with Joseph and Mary the entire time. He was always with them through it all, as he is with you and I, wherever God is leading us. So, but wouldn't it have been awesome, though, if we had the same opportunity as as Joseph? You know, Joseph may have been super excited about it. He may have been super scared. He may have been like, why me, God? Why do you keep waking me up? in all these dreams and wouldn't it be nice if we had that same experience where God came to us in our dreams and told us exactly what to do would anybody like that wouldn't that be nice but you know what we have been given a job to do and God has made it clear in his word what our job is and how big each and every one of you and I are in his plans We have been given the job of spreading the gospel. It's as simple as that. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is where it's recorded. Before Jesus ascends up into heaven, he tells his disciples what to do and us. Go, therefore, teaching and baptizing all nations. And then he says, of course, and there also, I will always be with you. And so 
That's our job, spreading the gospel. I think you all probably knew that already. But you know what? There is so much that goes in to spreading the gospel. And let's just take our church here at Promise, for example. There is a task for each one of us. God has everybody that's here for a reason, for a purpose. There's so much more. The church needs way more than just a pastor like me. Not everyone is called to be a pastor or even a church worker. But everyone has a particular task in his kingdom to help to spread the gospel. For example, the church needs people who sing, who play guitar, who play drums, who play keyboards, or run the soundboard, or slides, or the video. The church needs people to work in the office. We have two great women, Allison and Krista, who do just that. If they were not there, you know how much of a disaster this place would be if it was left up to me. <laughs> Promise here, we have a children's and a youth ministry led by Megan and Hannah. They were called to those positions, but not everybody's called to positions like that. A lot of you have stepped up to be volunteers in the children's ministry, especially in the youth ministry. God has gifted some of us to do those things, to work with children or to work with youth. The church needs people to lead small groups, and some people have listened to that call. The church needs people to count money, to set up chairs, to take chairs down. The church needs people to serve on the board and elders. The church needs people to set up and clean up communion. The church needs people to greet those who walk through our doors and to serve the coffee. You can't have church without coffee, right? Especially in a Lutheran church. And the church is here to be a family to each other. We are a specific church family here. And I saw that in action this week. We had a funeral on Wednesday. And people stepped up here in our congregation to help serve the meal for the family after the, the graveside service. People that helped set up tables and chairs and brought the food in and served the food. You see, like I said before, God didn't design or didn't call every one of us to be a pastor or to be a church worker or to stand up in front of people and talk and teach. But each and every one of you has a specific gift that God has given you to use in his kingdom to help spread the gospel. You see, every one of these things that I said, no matter if it's me, the pastor, or the person that's setting or taking down chairs, it's all important to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. And this goes outside of our four walls here at Promise. We are to spread this gospel to whoever we meet in our paths on a daily basis. This goes to our homes. Moms, dads have specific jobs to help spread the gospel to their own family. Grandpas and grandmas, kids can help spread the gospel to their parents and their grandparents and any family member. So you know it's New Year's and everybody likes to make New Year's revolu resolutions. Well, not everybody, I really don't. I made the resolutions not make resolution this year. But, so I have a few questions here for you up on the screen. Where does God need you? Where is God possibly leading you? 
And how can you use your talents, your time, or your talents to help God's church spread the gospel? Remember, this isn't just for us here at Promise. This is for everybody outside our doors. Because you know what? There's a lot of people just here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that don't know anything about Jesus. That don't know what Christmas is all about. That doesn't know how much God loves them. That he sent his one and only son. Just so that he could die on the cross. A brutal death. Shed his blood for each and every one of us. And this is the message that we are spreading. And what God wants us to spread. And each and every one of us are just as important to doing this. And so that's my challenge for you in 2023. To try to figure out some answers to these questions. Because God's job for each and every one of us is to spread his gospel. And to use words if necessary. And it's in his name. Amen.